0: Welcome to Firefighting in Canada, the podcast, brought to you by Draeger. Draeger products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. You've tuned in for compelling conversation on hot topics impacting Canada's fire service. I'm Hope BC Fire Chief, Tom DeSorcy.
1: Thanks, Tom, for introducing the show. I think we're really lucky here at Firefighting in Canada to have a voice like Tom's helping us out on our podcast. I don't know about all you listening in, but it gets me really pumped to talk about the fire service. Plus, this is my first time hosting an episode, so I'm pretty excited about that, too. I'm Jason, Associate Editor and guest host of today's episode. And we've got a great, relevant show lined up for all the tens of thousands of listeners tuning in today. Okay, maybe not thousands... Even a few hundred listeners would be fantastic. We've only been doing these regular podcasts for the last six months or so. Anyways, I've got Shane Mintz on the line, and we're going to talk about an article he wrote for our February issue. So, I'd like to officially welcome you, Shane, to the show. How are you doing today?
0: Hi, Jason. I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Uh, Let's put your article on hold for a minute or two and talk about you first. Not all our listeners may know who you are and what you've been up to. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your role within the National Fire Protection Association, most commonly known as the NSPA?
0: Sure. Um, I'm the Canadian Regional Director for the National Fire Protection Association, and um, have been doing this job for roughly about six years now. And uh, you know, I'm presuming, i well, I believe I'm uniquely qualified in that I've got a fairly significant career in the fire service, uh, starting in 1977 as a... As a recruit firefighter, and then working my way through the ranks uh, and through different positions and roles to include positions such as uh, Deputy Fire Chief in the uh, uh, City of Mark, now City of Markham, um, the Fire Chief of uh, the City of Burlington. Uh, I also served a period of time with the Ontario Fire Marshal's Office as the Assistant Deputy Fire Marshal in charge of Fire Protection Services. Uh, And from that point um, came to the National Fire Protection Association as their uh, Canadian representative. So my role is to basically represent the interests of the NFPA in Canada and uh, sort of to help and assist the fire service and uh, the building and engineering industry on the use and appropriate application of NFPA codes and standards. Uh, Just a little bit of an aside, I I hold a Bachelor of Arts and Master's Master's degree of uh, Public Administration from the University of West Ontario. Um, I'm a member of the Institute of Fire Engineers, International Institute of Fire Engineers, and uh, I also hold the Chief Officer designation from Dahosa University and the Canadian Association of Fire Chiefs.
1: Uh, Good to know. Yeah, so you're definitely the guy we want to talk about the topic, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, so you said you were obviously firefighter in chief for a while. What made you want to switch or start that second career in the administrative side of the industry?
0: Well, Jason, it's really a case of uh, working towards achieving certain goals and objectives, and it's also working towards seeing things done and, and wanting to try and make a difference. Uh, whether that be improving a process, whether it be improving a program or an initiative. Uh, those were always the targets or the goals for me to uh, continue to move on and uh, pursue new and different challenges uh, throughout my career.
1: Uh, nice. And so the last thing before we dive into your article, can you just explain what the n f p a is in a few sentences? I'm assuming our listeners know, but that's never a good idea, and it's always just a good idea to be reminded.
0: Absolutely. No problem, Jason. Uh, the National Fire Protection Association is a worldwide leader in fire electrical uh, building and life safety and engineering. Uh, the mission of the organization is basically to uh, reduce the worldwide burden of fire and other hazards on the quality of life by providing, advocating, uh, by providing and advocating for uh, consensus codes and standards, research training, and education. Uh, the organization uh, is a non-profit organization founded in 1896, and um, we continue to this day with uh, uh, over 300 codes and standards that minimize the possibility and effects of fire and other hazards uh, on the public and on industry uh, and, and the community in general.
1: All right. Uh, so back to why you're our guest today. Let's talk about your article titled, Legalization of Cannabis Presents New Challenges, Now, we don't very often, if ever, tell our columnists what to write. We trust our industry experts to know the trends and what is relevant. So, Shane, why did you pick this topic for your column?
0: Well, uh, first of all, it's it's very timely. Um, As uh, many of our listeners or many of your listeners may be aware, um, through uh, in Canada, Bill C-54 legalized the use of recreational cannabis on uh, June 21st of last year. And uh, the enactment date uh, going into effect was October 17, 2018. And uh, you know that, in effect, could be what we would refer to as "Happy Cannabis Day." Um, but what made this so uh, topical was the fact that um, using a lot of lessons learned from the legalization of uh, uh, cannabis or marijuana in Colorado and in California both. Um it, it leads the fire service to be concerned about certain issues around how cannabis is going to be produced, how it's going to be used, how it's going to be distributed. And uh you know, for the most part, uh the way it's licensed is going to be quite important to every local, uh, community, provincial, um and municipal um uh government area. Uh, to understand just exactly what it is they need to be aware of and what, what they are legally allowed to and what they're not allowed to do with regard to cannabis production. So uh, some of the processing and especially the extraction processes uh, in, uh, in cannabis production it can be very, very hazardous. And as such, those are the uh, those are the main concerns of NFPA and of the fire service when one of these sort of grow operations uh, may end up uh, opening up their doors in their various jurisdictions.
1: You wrote about challenges legalization brings to the fire service. Uh, briefly, just what are some of those challenges?
0: Well, um, it, it, we actually worked very closely with the Canadian Association of Fire Chiefs and uh, developed a, a basically a list of 16 uh, particular issues with regard to the, um, the passing of, of the uh, legalization of marijuana and cannabis. Um, number one was that you know the the act basically is very, very uh silent or is quite silent on, on any fire protection measures that are required. And as such that causes the Fire Service a concern because it doesn't give us a proper and adequate um forum to discuss the, the the concerns and challenges that we have. So you know basically it's approvals. You know, building and fire officials, they need to be made aware of applications and details of proposed facilities. Those are kinds of things that typically don't happen. Um, Retrospective changes to the building and fire codes uh, need to be done prior to these adoptions. So as an example, now there was a consultation process that was conducted by Health Canada prior to the legalization and the passing of Bill C-54. But the Canadian Association of Fire Chiefs and the NFPA for that matter um, were hoping that we would have had more impact and more effect on some of the requirements uh, within that, uh, within the legislation and, and the regulations around that. Uh, you know, some of the other things that we were concerned with was, uh, means of egress and while, well, uh, means of egress are addressed in NFPA 1, uh, the NFPA's fire code, uh, in chapter 38 that, uh, adequate egress must be provided with, uh, n- uh, with no non-compliant locking devices in place. Um a lot of this production too takes place in labs, and many of these labs undertake very hazardous processes to uh to sort of come to the end goal of what they're trying to achieve and When I say that i'm talking about things like extraction processes and and um the eventual development of product so that they can be used in a in an edible fashion ingestible or infusible with everything from um cannabis leaf at least Baking goods or baked goods and candies to infuse beer, wine, and soft drinks, and so on. So there's a real industry being grown here, and uh, the potential exists that it, um, it it well, it's limitless at this point in time. Um, you know, some of the other things that we were concerned with with, with regard to uh, fire and life safety were uh, you know unique hazards around greenhouses. Um, basically, a lot of the planting uh, operations are done in greenhouses uh, with a an extremely uh, controlled environment so that the growers are getting the most yield and the most potency as they're looking for from the various products that they're growing. Uh, you know, certain things such as high electrical demands and grow lamps and, and fumigation operations, um, carbon monoxide or sorry carbon dioxide enrichment uh, environments and, and um, maze-like room layouts that uh, that plants move through in their growth process from seedling to uh, developing. Plant um, impact on neighboring buildings and neighboring communities. Uh, you know what is being done to make sure that uh, smells, fumes, and vapors aren't escaping into the community adjacent to or around these facilities when they're being produced. So these are just a few of the things: um, occupant loads, making sure you get um, uh, appropriate occupant load uh, regulations and requirements. Uh, some of these uh, production facilities are very labor intensive and will often require staffing um, over 24 7 operation. So, uh, this occupant load typically exceeds current greenhouse uh, operations. Um, things like fire protection measures, uh, sprinkler systems, making sure that, uh, uh, well, it, it was the position of the CSC that um, all cannabis production facilities um, greater than 12,000 square feet should require. Um, fire protection sprinklers uh, in those installations. And where unsprinkled occupancies are um, are sort of grandfathered or, or passed uh, prior to this legalization, uh, there needs to be adequate and um, proper ability for the fire service to gain access to these buildings. Um, this doesn't take into account either anything about uh, stack racking. Um, anyone who has had the opportunity to take a look at a cannabis production plant, especially the grow operations piece uh, many of them are now starting to stack their their growing racks in such a fashion that they can maximize the space that they're in um, make the best use of the lighting that's available, and so on so there's a lot of things there that uh, caused or that has causes of concern from uh, a farmland safety perspective uh, some of the things too Jason, that uh, that are sort of uh, growing in interest are the use of intermodal box containers that uh, is now being contemplated for some of these smaller GROW operations, uh, the the operations that are more uh, with the micro-cultivating license.
1: Yeah, I Um, wanted to talk about the licensing classification system a little bit. Um, You wrote that Health Canada has been adopting this licensing classification system, and right now there's four different classifications. I think you were just going to get into them, but can I just ask you what those four classifications are?
0: Yeah, there are all the, 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 well, the uh, four classifications of licenses, uh, I should say the four classifications of cultivation licenses.
1: Okay. Are
0: number one standard, and that's the one that uh, generally you're going to see many of the major grow up uh, grow-up operators uh, applying for and being granted. Um, there's next is a, what's referred to as a micro cultivation license, which has a somewhat less uh, stringent requirement uh, to achieve. Uh, there are certain relaxations with the micro licensing uh, with regard to things like uh, the length of time that they need to keep monitoring, uh, sorry, the length of time they need to keep recorded monitoring of access and egress, um, uh, the maintenance and use of uh, intrusion detection systems, uh, things like, um, as I said before, uh, record keeping and, uh, monitoring. And, uh, relaxed regulations too around individuals who are entering or leaving or, uh, these sites that, uh, that they have access to. So, um while the standard license has, has quite stringent requirements around physical barriers, um, uh, whether it be fencing, walling, um, multiple entry points must be secured. All of those things are quite, um, yeah, create quite a, uh, an onerous uh, requirement on the part of those standard license holders. So um, the like micro-licensees have uh, a somewhat uh, less stringent requirement, and um, they are very similar to those of the nursery uh, cultivation licenses as well. And then finally you have what's referred to as the hemp licensing. So those are the four categories of cultivation licenses. And, um, yeah, that's and uh, Health Canada has put out a a, a fairly good descriptive chart on that that uh, you can get if you uh, access it through the magazine article in uh, this upcoming edition of Firefighting in Canada.
1: Okay. It seems almost as if you were a little bit less concerned with the producers of the major operations that operate under the standard producer license. Not that you're not concerned, but a little bit less. So why is it that you won't be... um, less concerned with those under the standard license. Is it because they might have already fire protection?
0: Yeah, yeah it's very good synopsis, Jason, and that's exactly it, is if you're not likely going to have um, any, any or many major issues with the uh, standard cultivation license holders. Uh, they are regulated, they are uh, uh, visited on a routine basis by Health Canada, and Health Canada has a routine view of all of their operations and records. You know, even to the point of uh, a producer being required to record um, every uh, plant that they have. Uh, they are required to report um, their. They required to report the, the use and the growth of the products that they've got, and they're even required to report on the destruction or the removal of, of byproducts such as uh, uh, such as uh, plant stocks and so on. Um, even to the point where. Uh, as this material is shredded for disposal, it is actually weighed and accounted for through uh, the regulatory requirements of Health Canada. And what's different though, with regards to the micro nursery and hemp licensees is that uh, they don't have quite as stringent requirements on them and and, um, as such, uh, well as an example, if you are a micro licensor, uh, you could hold as many micro licenses as you are able to acquire from Health Canada. Uh, There's no uh, differentiation between uh, how far they need to be uh, placed apart from one another um, and there are no real issues over, well, at least there are no issues that uh, they're being approached with with regard to um, the production practices and the reporting and record keeping and so on. So that's where the micro-nurseries sometimes may get a little bit more experimental. Uh, There is an anticipation that the uh, micro-licensees will be a little bit more Experimental in the things that they're doing, Um uh, in many cases, I think you could look at micro-licensors and licensees for that are uh, nursery licensees actually as being akin to uh, micro-breweries or micro-distilleries where they're, they're dealing in sort of the more personal aspect of things. Um the, the one thing too, Jason, I think that is important, uh, especially with regard to the, uh, the regulation is that, uh, Health Canada has provided for the fact that um, there may be certain numbers of individuals who want to grow their own cannabis and as such have allowed in the regulation uh, the provision of four cannabis plants per household so that might be a bit of a difficult thing to kind of regulate or kind of monitor and control through uh, the regulatory system and it's it's when individuals start to get experimental with the, uh, the, uh, not only just the growing, but also maybe perhaps even participating in some extraction processes and so on, even to the point where it just last November, uh, there was a fairly significant house explosion, uh, in Whitby, Ontario, whereby, uh, um, uh the, the occupants of the building were displaced, uh, a mother and daughter were, uh, injured, and as such, um, yeah, still waiting to hear back the full story on that particular explosion, but the initial reports uh, indicated that it could have potentially been uh, the result of a um, of an extraction process that had gone wrong in uh, in a residence. So that that's the kind of thing that you know. And, and the internet is a great place for people to go and learn how to do all of these things and understand how processes work. But again, in in high hazard uh, areas. And in high hazard uh, applications and processes, uh, yeah, it, this is something that uh, individuals sh- probably shouldn't be playing around with.
1: That would have classified under the micro operation if the one was in the home. That's a micro.
0: Well, I, I wouldn't even call it that, uh, Jason. What I would refer back to is, is someone who's got um, four plants in their household and um, and they're experimenting with it
1: more or less. That makes sense. Um, so, what kind of problems would those those ones, for example, and also the micro operations pose specifically to the fire surveys uh
0: well again, getting back to first of all the knowledge of where these places are and and how um how well um, they they conduct business um there's there's also a bit of concern over uh perhaps some of the ability for uh, health Canada to monitor who all how who who all was holding um what particular um, uh, the plant material and, and so on and so forth, and what kind of extraction operations they've got going. Um, you know, and again, without the knowledge of what's going on in some of these places, uh, there's, the, there's a, a very limited ability in the local fire uh, building officials and fire officials to um, uh, to actually uh, visit and inspect these places to make sure that they are um, properly installed and that they're doing things in the proper fashion. Um, you know, one thing to keep in mind too, uh, Jason, is that uh, with the micro and nursery licenses, uh, you're not entitled to undertake these kinds of operations near residential areas or in areas where it is close to schools or where children can be um, are, are found and families live in, in communities. These are intended to be kept in, in industrial type areas where you know you're not looking at um, sort of grow ops uh, on your you know on the corner or in your corner store. Um, that's something entirely different. So, other things too that are concerns are the electrical demands. A lot of the uh, growing operations equipment uh, is basically heavy uh, usage electrical requirements. A uh, thousand watt light bulbs are typically used, and uh, you know when you're using those light bulbs and those light fixtures, they're to be used as uh, as an assembly, and when they are. Um, for example, a a reflector lens might break, or there may be some other sort of issue with the light assembly itself, and unless that whole light is an assembly entirely itself, it creates a a severe fire hazard if, in fact, any one were to fail and fall into the plant material. Uh, And then, of course, too, there's there's this notion of, uh, or an idea to keep in mind that, uh, in fact, is there enough? hydro capability in the community to actually manage these kinds of uh, grow operations when they are um, when they're in place. So um, space demands, making sure again without the ability for fire services to go in and inspect these operations uh, or even know where they are, um, there's this uh, idea that they're going to have to make sure that they have got proper uh, tiers and racking in place, as I already mentioned, and uh, making sure that they are within the regulatory requirements uh, for that particular
1: occupancy. Another one of the issues is that cannabis production plants aren't specifically addressed in national building and fire codes. I'm not sure if you already touched on that or not, but um, if you haven't. Uh, what plans are in the works to address that issue? Is that an NSPA concern? Like is that, do you guys have a say in building and fire codes?
0: Well, not really. We, we have no jurisdiction, Jason, in Canada. Uh, our codes and standards are voluntarily adopted by, uh, jurisdictions that, uh, feel the need, uh, or, or think that these uh, codes and standards fit their needs. Uh, one of the things that we have in Canada is that in, under the current building and fire codes, uh, if you, uh, sort of hunt and peck through the various, uh, codes, you will be able to find certain pieces, uh, that are in place for, um, these certain pieces are in place that you can actually go and consult with, like say for example, uh, occupancy loads or uh, door opens, egress, uh, exit widths, uh, so on and so forth. All of those place- all of those items are actually in the building and fire codes. But for an individual to be totally compliant, they have to hunt and peck through all of those things. Um one of the things that the NFPA has done and we uh, we helped and this helped inform the Canadian Association of fire Chiefs a great deal um was the NFPA one uh, twenty eighteen revision. Uh, whereby in Chapter 38, we actually have a chapter focused specifically on cannabis grow operations and um, marijuana production facilities. So that's one of the things that we have uh, worked hard with at trying to make sure that people are aware of. Uh, Some of the other activities that are ongoing right now are um, some developments of uh, with the uh, CAN ULC or underwriters laboratories in Canada. Um, they've actually undertaken a standard development process, um, CANULC 4400, and uh, that standard basically goes through the regulation from top to bottom, everything from um, site security through to production methods, and uh, basically covers uh, many of those factors that are that are concerned. So there's a couple ways that different municipalities or different areas of jurisdiction can go with this. They can. They can look at the CAN-ULC 4400 standard and apply that where they would like, Um, or they could uh, consult NFPA 1 uh, Chapter 38, which is our our marijuana production chapter
1: of the standard. Okay, so if a fire chief or a firefighter or just another official interested in, in these changes, would the quickest but also a very good way to direct them would be direct them straight to Chapter 38? Would that be maybe your first suggestion?
0: Well, it's certainly my first suggestion. Um, however, uh, a Canadian fire chief, a uh, fire chief in Canadian jurisdiction, um, is somewhat obliged to sort of look at Canadian standards prior to others. But there's certainly nothing that would uh, prohibit them from from moving towards uh, Chapter, th- moving towards Chapter 38. Uh, it's uh, it's a good, um, uh, it's, a, it's a great standard, and it basically outlines the basic requirements for. Uh, for permitting facilities, it, it uh, provides guidance on grow operations, fumigation signage, temporary walls and tarps, pesticides, and so on. And these are all sort of the fire hazard and, and, and life safety risks that are involved. Um, the CAN-ULC standard basically follows more so uh, the regulation as it's been written down and you know sort of follows things like the security measures and that sort of thing where um, the Chapter 38 uh, gets into a little bit more depth and disposal. Uh, uh, Debt and discussion on on the very various sort of aspects of marijuana production and covers fire protection systems, again means of egress uh, growing production uh, of the marijuana plants um, processing and extraction and, and and transfilling you know where you've got uh, materials in uh, extraction phase, uh, there is a uh, high degree of likelihood that you're going to be using a high hazard flammable liquid. And as such, uh, you're going to need to make sure that those operations are transfilling those facilities in a proper way with proper grounding and bonding and making sure that you're controlling any ignition sources, or sparking uh, capability.
1: Um, I know the NSPA is available and just has a lot of information and resources to help. Um, what's the easiest way to get at your guys' information? Just for someone listening to your website, is that, is that easy? Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, Jason. Uh, any time I speak to a group, uh, I'm all and Laura King as well. Uh, we are very keen to make sure that people are aware that there there is a program uh, with the National Fire Protection Association it's called Free Access, and uh, basically it's a means whereby uh, anyone can uh, have a look at any one of our codes and standards uh, freely accessible on the NFPA website. It's simple. It's a simple and straightforward. As uh, typing in your search bar of your browser, uh, NFPA forward slash free access, hit the, uh, the go to button, and uh, it'll come up as the top two or three uh, uh, searches or queries uh, from that uh, search. And basically, you uh, follow the links into free access. There's a couple of URL or hyperlinks there that you would uh, hyperlink into. It will take you to a registration page. So If you aren't already registered with the NFPA or you don't have a profile with the NFPA already registered, they're going to ask you to do that. It's totally cost-free. It's just a means of the NFPA getting uh, an awareness and understanding of of who is accessing the material information and also finding other things that they may be interested for them. So basically registering with them and then going forward and then uh, just click on whatever NFPA code and standard you want to see. Uh, You can keyword search too, so you may not even know what... um, what code or standard you're looking for, so type in the keyword search and it'll bring you up several recommendations of of um, things that they that the system thinks you may want to look at. So yeah, it, it's easy, straightforward, uh, fast, and efficient. And as I said, it's a way of individuals uh, to get a look at the code and standard prior to having to purchase
1: it. Oh, that's great to know. I know you guys have a lot, so um, the easier access, uh, the better. Um, yeah. So we're running out of time a little bit. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you wanted to elaborate a little bit more on?
0: No, I think I think we've covered it all, Jason. And I, you know, I applaud firefighting in Canada for bringing this, uh, you know, this issue forward because it is something, um, as I see it, is important. And I also see it as being something that uh, is only going to continue to grow. I, I can't see, I can't see this industry sort of withering away, so to speak. It's 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 very very. Uh, lucrative, and it's uh, an industry that, in my mind, is only going to continue to grow. Especially when you take into consideration these derivative uh, products that they're talking about uh, uh, now being made legal as of April 1st, um, edibles and fusibles, and so on and so forth. So I, I think it's I think it's important. I think it's important that communities know about it, and I think it's important that the building and fire officials know uh, what's going on in their communities so they can best affect it and make sure
1: it's it's uh, installed safely and properly. We'll definitely talk again soon. And to all our listeners, you can email Shane at Canada at org or Laura King at CanadaCRR at org. Thanks again for talking to us, Shane. Any chance to get to chat with someone from the NFPA is great. Check out our website for some great previously recorded podcasts full of content directly related to issues Canadian fire chiefs and other officials are currently facing. I'm Jason, and I'll talk to you all again soon. Thank you for joining Firefighting in Canada,
0: the podcast brought to you by Drager. Drager products protect, support, and save lives. Firefighting equipment you can trust. Visit firefightingincanada.com and click on Hot Topics for more episodes.